Welcome to Talk Design. I'm Adrian Ramsey, and with the Architects Marketing Institute, I'm going to bring you 12 special editions. These 12 editions, the architects who are presenting their homes on the Austin AIA Homes Tour. They're all very inspiring, and there's some secret special tips that you'll get towards the end of each podcast. I hope you're as inspired as I am. My guest today on Talk Design is Nicole Blair. Nicole is from Austin, Texas, and she has the project called The Hive, which is in the AIA Austin Homes Tour this year. That's a virtual tour, so you're going to be able to spend a lot of time in The Hive. The Hive's only a small footprint building, uh, but it is unique, and it's a fabulous structure um, covered in shingles cedar shingles so make sure you spend some time looking around and nicole's going to tell us a bit about the journey and herself and what's special about the hive nicole welcome to talk design thank you adrian i um it's a it's a pleasure to get to talk to you likewise <laughs> it, it's a it's a real treat it's a real treat so first of all before i get deep into the hive tell me um Tell me when you realized you were going to become an architect. What what was the the the, the epiphany that you went boom? This is it because it's more a calling than anything else in the, in life, you know. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I think I think you're right about that. I mean, for me, um, it was pretty instantaneous. Um, I in junior high, um, I you know, the whole school was attending a career fair in the gymnasium and there were just tables set up um, with professionals from a bunch of different walks of life and different jobs and professions. And I just uh, just ended up stopping in front of this architecture table and there were these um, beautiful models of buildings and there was a woman behind the desk that said architecture she thought architecture would, was a had a lot of opportunity for women, and I think that something just clicked, and it just felt like I, I think I just instantly knew that's what I that's what I wanted to do. I can't get with that. I love it, like that. It was the thing that you just saw. Why did she say there was a lot of opportunity for women? Yeah, I think. You know, I mean, my guess is at that time, there probably, she probably didn't have very many male, uh, very many female colleagues that there were a lot of males in the office. And I think, you know, maybe she was trying to encourage women to get into the profession. Um, but I took it to heart. And then um, for, for me personally, it ended up kind of reinforcing itself as, as I was in high school. Um, my mom, um, in her own work, um, uh, built this, um, built, uh, this AIDS hospice called Christopher house. Oh, wow. And yes. I've heard of it. Yeah. You heard of it? Okay. Yeah. And she hired, um, a female architect in town, Emily Little to design it. So even when I was in high school, um, I was kind of watching my mom work with, um, a female architect on this project. And then when I was in high school, um, I could spend half day as a high school student working in the field as an intern. 
and my high school placed me at an architecture office where again, my mentor was um, this woman named Linda Johnston, who also now has her own firm in Austin. And both of these women, uh, funny enough, live in my neighborhood currently. They own their own firms. Um, I guess now Emily Little also has a partner, Um, but they've, you know, I guess I just grew up and always had these um, strong female role models to look up to. So that's so uh, cool. It never never occurred to me that it would, it wasn't a great, um, a great profession for women. Yeah. You you never saw that there was any difference. Do you think now that you've been doing it for more than a couple of years, um, do you think that women bring something different to architecture than men? There's a there's a dangerous question for you. <laughs> yeah, I think I I actually think that the more women we start to see kind of rise up in the in the profession and find their own voice, that their points of view are as varied as as men's. And um, I don't. I don't see any, um, I think maybe we might've wanted to give them certain characteristics when there weren't that many examples to look to, but I think as time goes on, we'll see that their personalities in terms of design are as varied as the personalities of of anyone designing, just like color. Like, I think there's not, I don't think there's necessarily like this is what architecture from people of color looks like. I think that, you know, there are all kinds of different points of view. And um, of course your background does make a difference, your own experiences, the things that that you're exposed to and your clients definitely play into the work that you do. Um, But I feel like there are so many amazing examples of female architects around the world now with such very, which, with really different um, design sensibilities. And mm-hmm. so. A conversation that um, I love to have is when you go to a structure, we'll call them a house or a building or whatever, is um, this is one of my favorites is does it carry a feminine energy or does it carry a masculine energy? Doesn't matter who designed it. Like, I look at I, there's some beautiful work by males and females, and I couldn't tell you whether it was designed by a male or a female. Like I couldn't look at a building to do that, but whether a building carries feminine energy or masculine energy, and one of the things that I think globally that um, the two thousands and and twenty on, there's a real shift to um, feminine energy in the world. Uh, we're seeing it, it, it with a heightened consciousness. There's also some, you know, uh, typical male energy that's very stuck where it needs to move forward from. But there is mm. the shift to feminine energy. And um, I'm really keen to see. So often, with, say we were walking down the street, you and I, or through a town, I'd see something that would catch my eye and I'd go to you. So masculine, feminine. And you'd go, oh, Okay. Um, and you tell me what it is, and I go. So why? Why is it like what? What? What in that form is telling us that it's masculine or feminine? So it's a. It, I, I think it's fascinating, and I do it with mainly men because there's more men that are in architecture. Um, but I love doing it with women as well because 
they don't usually, I think, get asked the question. Mm. They don't. Mm. And, and, and what makes it it? Because men are probably too busy trying to, well, I don't think they're trying to define whether it's um, feminine energy either, really, to tell you the truth. I see it as a global trend. And because it's a global trend, I like to, to look at it in every aspect of where it may come from. Mm. Well, maybe next time you come to Austin, we should take a stroll together so we can have that conversation i think that sounds like a i might try that with one of my architect friends here and see see what we talk about That's do it and report it into me <laughs> do it and and the other thing is is um you know like with those three or two female role models that you know set you up in architecture as such um it would be fascinating to do a little three-way conversation like this with with all of you with all three let's see they're, if we can put that together that would be amazing yeah they're amazing and really on on the tour um you know i'm happy to see that of the nine houses i think you know two of you know two firms um are led by females there's the husband and wife team which is yeah. a third one and then i think you know i don't know for sure but i think even one of the other firms that's on the tour has a female that's in um, a, a real a leadership role, so it's it's nice. It's a nest on Christo, like yeah, yeah, yeah. they're fantastic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she is. She works for another firm, and uh, and he works for you know another firm for Older Studio. And yeah. I did ask them the question: Was there ever a conversation where the two of you said we need to hire an architect? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She ended up. Being kind of the bridge, the female bridge between those two firms that are so yeah. well known in Austin. <laughs> so cool, yeah. though. Um, so Wait, yeah, I let... a, can I ask you a question then? Since yeah, of you're course. on, so okay. So when you look at the hive, yeah, would you say that it it exudes female or male energy? Mm. <laughs> Is it fair to turn this conversation around a little bit? Yeah, you bet. Why not? Um, that's a really interesting thing. I would really want to be there to to stand in front of it and feel it. But um, do you know, I think that there's um, there's a quirkiness in it, and the quirkiness takes courage. And woman, and this is where I think its female energy lies. Women, if you back put their back against the wall, they'll be way more courageous than a man. You know, they'll protect their young. They'll do whatever it takes. They'll do whatever it takes. They, they, um, the rules don't matter when it when their backs against the wall. So courage isn't a new thing to women. Right. They they um they often um feel. Uh, more threatened in, in, in their physical presence of, of being in society than men do. So they're mm -hmm. used to taking steps of courage. And I look mm -hmm. at it and I go, so the quirky sensibilities of it, um, when we were talking earlier, and we'll talk about this on here as well, about why it's done the way it is, um, to get to get it to work within the rules of, this, of the county and stuff. But with that I go, uh, the, 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 the piece of the recycling is also to me has a lot of feminine energy because it's conscious 
it's being very mm -hmm. conscious about a bigger picture. Mm -hmm. um, the form of it, maybe, maybe not. I don't mm -hmm. know whether the form of it has the female energy, but the mm -hmm. elements of it certainly do. And it's because it's mm -hmm. shingled. It has a great connection to um, nature that you wouldn't necessarily get out of another kind of siding. The, the shingling yeah. really is like wrapping yourself in the tree mm -hmm. um, where you could take another piece of work that might be, you know, steel and, um, you know, other materials that are not, well, more man-made, I suppose, than, uh, uh, but you, it's like you're going in the tree and it has that almost, that can have almost like a treehouse effect, even though that it's on the ground, it's got that. And mm -hmm. the fact that the walls aren't, um, you know, perpendicular, Again, mm -hmm. just that's the courage to me. That's the and whilst mm -hmm. it's the solution, mm -hmm. it's the, it's part of the courage as well. It demands to be seen mm -hmm. um, without shouting. Mm -hmm. yeah, so I think that would be its part. All of I mean, I think all of those things that you just said make sense to me. Um, like another thing that comes to mind when you are just bringing up this idea of like, is it male or is it female? Was um, you know, last, you know, we're getting ready for this home store. And last week I was meeting with the AIA shepherds that are assigned to help me um, get everything ready for our presentations. And um, he said something to me that I had never heard before. I mean, lots of people have different impressions of the hive um, and, and, you know, everything, what, what we were kind of talking about before from like, maybe it looks like it's something that you know, Tim Burton might design, or maybe it's something that you'd see like on the East Coast. Yeah. Um, that kind maybe of whole. Maybe Dr. Seuss had a hand in it, you know, right. the cat in the hat, you know. Yeah, but but I thought what he said I thought was really interesting, which was, um, you know, when I was working in kind of interning in architecture in New York before I started grad school, I worked for a little while for um, an architect that most of your architect listeners would know. Um, Peter Eisenman, who kind of plays with form more. And then I went and worked for um, Robert Stern, who is an architect that probably does a lot of houses that are shingles. And he said when he saw the hive and then he had learned about my background, he thought the hive was like the perfect combination of Eisenman and Stern sensibilities. Um, so I thought to me, I thought that was a really interesting observation um, both of those are all obviously strong male yeah. architects. Um, so it was one when, when you brought up the question about when you were talking about male versus female design, it reminded me of his um, his comment about the design. And it, yeah. you know, but I thought it, I thought it was a really kind of smart um, a smart uh, observation that he yeah, had. Yeah, for sure, for but sure. Who knows where where like your Ideas well, when we're, when we're in um, Austin, when I'm in Austin next, we'll, we'll do that walk for sure. I would we'll love that. that. Walk for sure. That would be really fun, really, really fun. Um, so tell me about the hive. Tell me what, it, what sort of things I'd love to know is, is the design philosophy that got you where it, where it is and also some things that if I'm, when I'm on the tour this year, I shouldn't say if I'm on the tour, if, if you're listening and you've gone by your tour ticket, um, these are the things that you may well miss if you don't listen to this. These are the things that you might go, 
oh, wow, I never knew to look for that. I never knew that that was there. And it's really fascinating with all the people I'm interviewing, those little comments about, because you're seeing it directly from your eyes. So give me some of those and a bit of design philosophy. So, um, well, I think most people would be surprised to know that um, the shape of the building, it wasn't, you know, I didn't really um, start this process with any kind of preconceived notion about what it was going to look like. Um, a lot of the shape is derived directly from city of Austin constraints for a project of this type and, and on this, on this site. So um, the city of Austin only allows the footprints of the buildings to be, to occupy 45% of the lot. It has to be 55% pervious. And, um, and then of course you can't count parking. So, you know, after analyzing the site and uh, discovering that there was a, like an angled utility easement in the back and trees and all these setbacks, we discovered that the footprint was going to have to be limited to about 320 square feet. And um, the client was wanting like a one bedroom space, um, which would really can't fit. And I mean, maybe it could fit into 320 square feet, but not with, she wanted a kitchen that was generous that she could, um, you know, really um, use for like a bigger, you know, not uh, like she wanted more of like a cook's kitchen so she could um, have more room and in, in space there. And she wanted um, a queen size bed in the bedroom and she wanted a soak she originally wanted a soaking tub. Um, so the space really by her own requirements were even when you're tailoring everything down as small as possible, we're really kind of closer to five or 600 square feet. So um, pretty immediately I knew we would have to um, design something that had two floors. And when you're starting with such a small footprint and you have a staircase that's to code, you know, right away your second floor is going to be offset from the first floor. So mm -hmm. I just started, um, at that point I started recalling, um, you know, these really fantastic, um, kind of playful structures. I'd remember learning about in architecture school, um, some houses, uh, by, uh, Fujimori, a Japanese and some little uh, Dutch park pavilions that MVRD uh -huh. had done and um, started looking back at some of those. Um, and, you know, no one, but the, the, the Dutch and, and the Japanese are, uh, you know, they're constantly having to design within spatial constraints. Um, so there, there's some really great and creative examples um, coming out of, architecture firms in those countries. So um, that's really kind of looking to them started informing the space. Um, and what's funny about the, the shingles is the owner on the main house was replacing the roof when we were designing the hive. And so she discovered under this corrugated metal roof that there were all of these um, shakes, these like cedar shakes. Yeah. And so she called me and said, um, can you reuse these? And so I went over there and we saved these big bundles of these cedar shakes, um, but we didn't have enough to do the whole building. So I called, started calling around to see if we could get more. And in that process, 
um, there is a contractor that I knew well in town who had done a lot of roofing jobs. And he said, um, why don't you come over to my storage space? I took these cedar shakes off of a house like 10 years ago and they're just sitting in my storage and they're basically kindling. And why don't, if you can use them, take them and use them. Wow. And so it's like opportunities like that are, um, are, you know, are, you you know, just amazing, especially on a project like this. So we went over and it turned out these shakes were uh, much larger, much more durable, much higher quality than the ones that had come off her roof. And there was more than enough to cover the entire building, roofs and walls. So that decision kind of like made for us. How wonderful. You've got to love those those little journey stories. That's yeah. that's magical. So um, if you were to go, well, we will be going into the hive. Tell us, tell us a bit of the journey of once we're at the house, at once we're there, when we're, when we're approaching that front door, which it looks like, and I haven't seen all the photos, but it looks like it it um, it starts with an angle that runs inside. Yeah. So I would, so, so the owner would call that the front door as well. So that's at the back of the house. And um, she, it was important to her that the door into the hive was private. Mm -hmm. And so when you approach the hive, as you're walking down the driveway, because of course it's, it's, it's situated behind the, her, there's a behind the main house. Yeah. Behind the main house. And so as you're walking down the drive, um, the hive kind of like unfolds to you. Um, I mean, part of the design that the window wall I situated, yeah. it's north facing for, you know, for natural light. Um, the, and the other thing is that that angled utility easement that runs at the back of the property runs through the neighbor's yard in that direction, r- right across from oh, this, wow. from this um, window wall. So we knew the neighbor would never be able to build a structure in that utility easement either. So we knew that at that point facing north, she would always have potentially a view for, for of at least to the depth of two yards. Wow. So that awesome. just made a lot of sense to put the windows there. Um, and, um, but yeah, so then you kind of walk around to the back. Um, there's a covered porch in the back. I mean, some of, yeah. I think, the the client had a long list of, you know, everybody has their kind of their wish list. So, you know, when I'm designing, I'm always looking back and forth at that as I'm designing. So, you know, she wanted an outdoor shower. So that became a really great place at that entry porch to tuck that outdoor shower in. Ah, there you go. There's something to to spot. Yeah. Yeah. There's cool. under this she really wanted bike storage. So under the stair. Um, we were able to um, reuse some of that corrugated metal from the main house roof that came off. And it, we made a, a sliding door on the back of the house. Um, and that sliding door opens up to um, to just enough room for storage for a couple of bikes. And it's also like a, mechan- a little mechanical closet. Fantastic. Um, yeah. And then I don't, do you want me to? I could, yeah. I what keep- else? Give me a couple. Oh, look, it. it you shift shapes you shift shapes this place is a great example of that and yeah. your work is a great example of that that you love um you've got a lot of freedom and playing with the shapes 
but yeah. often probably driven by constraints. And I can imagine that you could keep digging through the hive. We could talk all day and you could tell us little quirky bits that, um, but just ch- give me one more. Give me one more. I mean, I, I mean, I think she also wanted stackable. She also wanted launch a stackable washer and dryer unit. And so we, so actually, you know, I was thinking about this for the tour. I was looking back at old drawings and often I don't, you may do the same in your own projects, but I oftentimes when I'm working, will just like cut and paste a series of floor plan options over and over and over again. And so I probably have a dozen <laughs> different plan options for this project. Um, and I showed several to the, to the owner. So like this little washer and stacked washer and dryer closet has moved around <laughs> several times in this building. And, <laughs> and even we even ended up shifting it again after we framed it, um, which was, you know, I don't know if you know, but um, uh, so I was the architect, but then um, I also ended up being the general contractor for the project. So right. one of the things that's um, that was advantageous about that is as we were able to get in the space and see some opportunities that came up, um, then we could, if it, if it made sense, we could shift and, and make some sure. of the revisions, which actually ended up making the project better. So that stacked washer and dryer. Got you know, moved, got moved got around. A few it, times. It, it's, uh, if, if you weren't the general contractor, um, yeah, it would become a lot more static, but also, um, with being able to take such a tight space, already tight space, and decide to shift things, every shift ha- can have such massive consequences. It's like, yeah. it's um, yeah, every shift has a has a ramification. It sends out ripples, and yeah. uh, you know, like yeah, I changed that, but then I had to update these eight, eight other things to get myself there, kind of thing. Yeah, I probably drove the subcontractors crazy, but they, <laughs> we have some really, really amazing oh, art. Yeah. I'm sure you've heard that from your other interviews and yeah. like, they just, they get excited about um, projects that look different and that are th- where they get to try something new too. And it's, it's really fun for me to get to work so closely with them like in a GC role like this, where we can just fine tune all those details and really make the project come Mm. to life. One of the things that looking, you know, with your work, you, you love to shift the shapes. It's, um, it's, I don't think there's any static work for people who um, don't know Nicole's work, Studio 512, but um, check out her Lincoln Chapel, for example. Um, this is, and if you live in Austin, go and take a drive by. It's, um, this is something that's, again, really special, and it shows your ability to think so far outside of the box and play, basically. Play, but with sensibility. It's beautiful work. Um, but the hive... The hive is certainly, um, you won't find one on every corner. And, no, uh, but I've had, you'd be surprised. So we've completed it five years ago, but I probably have had discussions with a dozen people in different cities around the world that uh-huh. wanted to recreate this in some fashion. And it has not happened yet, but I think with all that interest, you know, it might have a cousin someday. 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's it. The, the uniqueness of the signature of it creates that, um, that yeah. interest and that, uh, you know, want. It's clearly defined that it isn't the same as everything else. And that's what people, or some people, want to, um, they want to shift their tribe or they, they run in a different tribe and that gives them the opportunity to. I, I absolutely yeah. love the project. I think it's brilliant. Um, well, for I mean, I will say for me, it's not about it being different. I think hmm. for me, it's about like, if everything is exactly where you want it to be, where does it end up? Right. And so it's not, um, it is think we've talked about this before. You also had a background, um, in fashion. And so I think, you know, when you're my, my background also, uh, mm-hmm. my undergraduate degree is in textiles and apparel. And I think when you're designing clothing and you're designing for the body, you're designing in three dimensions, right? And you're thinking about the body in three dimensions. And I think you can think about, you can, you can think about designing architecture the same way, especially when you have to in this situation. But I think, um, you know, you don't need as much room at your feet as you do, like in the middle of your body or in certain views. Uh And so I think it, I don't, I don't think I'm ever changing angles because I think it looks good. I think the point is always like, let's lean this so that we can get the counter space where we want it. Let's lean this wall so we can fit the, the queen size bed. Let's lean this out, but then taper it back in because, you know, in the shower, we need room around the center of our body, but we don't need a lot of room above. At a, yeah, or, or, at, or at our feet. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, I think, and when I'm designing, I'm always just trying to think like, what's the best solution for the problem? Um, and that would be true at the chapel or some other projects that I'm working yeah. on that might look different. They're, the goal is always like, what's the space that makes sense, that that meets all of the requirements? And And I think sometimes when you're thinking about it that way, then you'll end up with a product that's uh, maybe even unexpected, something you wouldn't have thought of if you were saying everything needs to be a box. Yeah, yeah. But certainly, I, I totally get that. I totally get that it's actually about use of space um, yeah. and use of space, the functionality of use of space, but not in square boxes or rectangles. It's in It's in physical form. And then like you say, like you, where your feet go doesn't need to be as wide as where your arms or your shoulders go. And, you know, will you be carrying something? Won't you be carrying something on this journey? Those kind of things. And how much of this space do you need where? Like, it, it, it's it's probably a great sense of economy. Um, it is, yeah. It's more energy efficient. It's more material efficient. Like, we were able in this project to use materials that were more um that were richer higher quality than we would have been able to if it was rectangular and we had more area to cover um like because you know as you know as an architect a lot of times subcontractors are charging you by the square foot that of what they're doing so if the tile guy only has to tile 30 square feet instead of 100 square feet then you've just cut that 
that cost down, you've cut the material cost and the labor cost down. And now, you know, you can spend more money on making that tile pattern unique or, you know, or, um, you can be so, more decorative or you can spend the money in another place. Like if there's a hierarchy of needs, you can spend that money in, in somewhere else that needs something different. You can put in a great skylight. You can do something that otherwise you wouldn't be afforded. Yeah. And maybe I'm lucky because my, like, you know, if the, if I had a client that said what I, what I need is the fastest thing that can get built, like it needs to be done right away, then, you know, we might have stuck with a with a box with a rectangle or something that like would like maybe was more typical to build so it would be faster to build yeah Um, but I think when you have a client that says like what's most important to me is um to like have all these little spaces and I also need to be able to afford it and she I know she really cares about energy efficiency you know she wanted to make sure that the windows were set up for passive cooling. She wanted mm-hmm. to have an attic fan. She wanted, um, she wanted to have a big garden. So she also, you know, we were constrained to that square footage, but I think um, her own sensibilities and interests also kind of lent itself to this kind of solution. And got met by the, uh, by the solution. That's a beautiful thing. And without compromise by the sounds of it, you know, like everything comes together. That's, that's a beautiful thing. That's what they employ you to do. um, Yeah. Yeah. I think she would say that we probably pushed her, like pushed, pushed her budget more than she was thinking, you know, she could go. But I, you know, in a project like this, also when you're general contracting, you can say you get to the point where you're about to buy hardware and you can say, this is the, you know, this is the pull that costs $3. This is the pull that costs $10. This is the pull that costs $20. And then it can be their decision. And all three of them can support the the yeah. overall design idea. Yeah. And, um, and so Whereas luckily- if you just specified it and I was building it, you'd get what was specified. So luckily she was willing to, she took, you know, like we didn't original, we originally were planning on this building to have all white cabinets, but then the cabinet maker had just, uh, was working on another project that a lot of longleaf pine was coming out of the walls. And so he said, I've got all this longleaf pine if you think you want to use it. Um, and so that kind of led to some other decisions that did end up costing more than uh, we had originally planned, but um, it was great to have a client that was kind of, she, you know, she's a filmmaker. And so oh, wow. cool. I think she, somewhere in, around the middle of the project, likened the the process of designing the project to, to directing a film, which she had done some documentary films because she said, you know, you kind of have a script, but when you're filming, um, you know, you ha- as a director, you she had to, be aware and take advantage of opportunities that were coming up. Like maybe someone, maybe there's someone that uh, like, fluid. A, yeah, it's more fluid or maybe there's like a, a, like a, a spot for filming that you want to take advantage of that you didn't think of at the, at, at the beginning that really helps make the movie um, better in the end. I love that. I love that. Um, just just that's the collaboration with the client and the philosophy that you carry with that of you know like it's um it, it's it's a hand in hand journey 
and uh, you, you both get an outcome from it. Well, my advice would be spend some time in the hive um, and be thankful that it's virtual because if there were 5,000 people trying to walk through it over this weekend, being the 16th and 17th and 18th, um, I don't know that you'd do it. <laughs> the client would have um, would, would never have agreed to let that many people. I don't yeah. think the AIA could have even had this project on the tour because it's it's really just too compact to to yeah. um, to accommodate a large group. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And and I think that's something that's um beautiful about this tour being virtual. A, we can see it in Australia and we can see it in England and we can do all these things around the world with it um, and experience that architecture. And B, we can do it um, from the comfort of our own, our own home, but we also don't have to get to the spot to find a park, to walk down, to take our shoes off, to go inside and negotiate different spaces with other people's energy in them. We get to take our own energy into them, which is cool. You can just sit in your pajamas and have your <laughs> wine and your co or your coffee, whatever, and yeah, and just and tour all these houses. Yeah. Nicole, thank you so much for this chat. I really, really, really enjoyed it. Um, quite fabulous to unwrap your thinking and understand it. And the hype is something really special, as I say, so is uh, the chapel. Um, there's some amazing pieces of work that people can go and see of yours in Austin. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. It was, it was, nice, it was nice talking to you. Richard's Magic Arrows is brought to you by the Architect Marketing Institute. Clean, simple, sugar-free magic arrows that hit the mark for fast results. Let's fire a magic arrow into this week's problem. Now, I know feed pressure is one of the biggest things facing designers. It doesn't matter what level you're at. There is no one golden bullet for it. Uh, if it was, it was probably select the right type of clients. But if you're in a situation where you're being pressured on fees, I'm going to give you a way of dealing with it. And it's by asking say three questions and this is called takeaway selling so this is where you kind of offer something up and then you take it away and see if they follow you it's almost like imagine if you had some hot ch chocolate cookies and you had a plate full of them you put them in front of them, someone and then they went to reach out and then you you pulled it away and you see if they get up and follow you it's that type of thing so this is called takeaway selling so the first question you ask you say well why don't you just leave the situation as it is why why make the change that's an unusual thing for a designer to say, well, why not just leave it as it is? And see how they answer. And then you might say, why did you want to speak to me? Why did you not get someone else? And see if they follow you, see if they answer properly. And the third question would be, well, why not do it later? Now, by asking these negative questions, you're going to get a lot more information out of someone than by trying to convince them to do it. Because by pulling the plate of hot cookies away, they're either going to react or they're not. And if they do react and give you answers and explain why it's important, then what they're doing is telling you how important something is. Now, while these magic arrows are great for fast results, when you're ready to run better quality projects from clients who value great design and are prepared to pay great fees, I've got a special training just for you.
Go to archmarketing.org forward slash talk design. Take your magic arrow and fire at will.